Welcome to the Virtual Power Teams podcast, the number one podcast for working remotely and building powerful virtual teams. My name is Peter Ivanov, international keynote speaker and author of the book Virtual Power Teams, translated in six languages. Tune in every Tuesday for the very latest in virtual leadership or visit my website, peter-ivanov.com. Welcome, everyone. And today we have a very exciting guest, Molly Rose from Florida, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, right. sunny Florida. Sunny Florida. We have a very gray um, kind of weather here in Hamburg, Germany. No surprise, <laughs> but we have a smiling Molly Rose, who is um, why exciting. He will tell us more about herself, but uh, he is um, training and also placing virtual assistants and helping many business owners uh, and busy people in general to be more efficient having an online assistant. So we will discuss as usual, you know, what are the success factors for running virtual teams or having a highly efficient virtual assistant and uh, many other things. But uh, without any further ado, Moriros, welcome to our podcast. And please tell us who you are and what you do in your own words. Thanks for having me, Peter. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, so I am a, the founder of the Virtual Assistant Academy and Virtual Assistant Management. About eight years ago, I stumbled upon becoming a virtual assistant, quit the corporate gig due to a lifestyle of a military spouse. So deployment schedules and having a husband that was rarely home or we moved around a lot. I was like, I need to have a career that I can take into my own hands. And that's how I kind of got into the, the work of supporting online business owners predominantly and, and corporations of, of people needing assistance. And it just spiraled into what I have today, a training and certification program for virtual assistants, many of them fellow military spouses nationwide and some overseas. Uh, and now we place them within corporations and small businesses. Excellent. So we have many things in common, apart from the virtual topic, being virtual power teams, and you are working with virtual assistants. We we left uh, we left the corporate careers exactly eight years ago. You know, scheduling and enjoying the freedom of being an entrepreneur and your own boss. Sometimes the toughest boss you may mm -hmm. <laughs> wish for. But uh, why virtual assistant? Tell us uh, why you do what you do. What gives you passion to go out of bed and, you know, having a global population of virtual assistant? Why? Why you do that? I think the biggest thing for me that I found in, in leaping into being my own business owner and having my own services that I offer to entrepreneurs is freedom. It's something that, especially stateside, having 10 days of vacation or being confined to the eight to five business schedule just didn't work for me, my lifestyle. I'm a, I'm a world traveler. I love coming to Germany. For example, I'd probably be there this month if, if things weren't the way that they are. Uh, and I wanted to create that for other women in this situation uh, that wanted to have a career that was rewarding and could use their really amazing skills as being administrators, but doing it virtually. So that's kind of what led me to this. And I think being able to successfully say that I found a career that not only has created a ton of freedom for myself, but I can also transfer that to others and make a difference in other business owners' lives has been an amazing opportunity and something I love to be able to do. 
Excellent, excellent. So tell us in your story, when was this decisive moment when you decided you couldn't do anything else, but, you know, founding your virtual assistant company? Yeah, so about 10 years ago, I went to a conference and it was for young professionals. I was out of college a few years and I had heard the term entrepreneur. I, I didn't know that, you know, it kind of took off probably 10 to 15 years ago, really the way that it is now today. And I thought to myself, wow, you mean you can make money selling your services without having a traditional job? That's incredible. So that's kind of what really was a pivotal moment for me and, and just dreading the nine to five 55 minute commute each way and, and just living that rat race over and over that's what really defined me in taking the leap and made me make the decision to take the leap. And then in creating the, the program and the agency that I have now of placing virtual assistants, it was a moment where I was sitting in a coffee shop with a few women and they were asking me, how do I do what you do? They saw me traveling the world and working remote and having a really rewarding income. And I realized that there's really something here and a way for me to, to teach others how to do that. And that took off about six years ago. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Tell us a bit some some dimensions. How many virtual assistants you have currently in your pool, and uh, what's the global? If you if you wish to reveal these details, what's the global footprint of uh, of your pool of assistants? Yeah. So we have trained over 125, and then they have the opportunity to go out on their own and and run their own business. And then we also have our agency. So we have over 40 women that we place actively. Uh, with entrepreneurs and that's just growing through the pandemic you know we've suffered the way a lot of people have with with getting people to work Uh, so we're trying to build up our our staff again to be able to place because the demand for virtual assistance is is through the roof so that's a good thing just need the the amazing talent to match that and then um, they're global. So having a lot of them be military spouses, some are overseas, most of them are in the States, uh, but we do have clients that we work with that are overseas. And um, yeah, from there. So it's niche, or I guess global wide, mostly in the US though. Okay. Okay. And uh, what services, that gives us a flavor a little bit to, to, to our audience, because as we say, devil is in the detail, but also the delight is in the detail what kind of services do they usually provide? And I will just, uh, there is a book from uh, Tim Ferriss. I'm mm-hmm. sure many people, you know, the, um, the seven hours work, uh, work week, four hours, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, four hours work week. And he was uh, bragging uh, in a sense of his virtual assistant doing all kinds of personal favors and sending flowers to his wife and even writing mm-hmm. the notes much better than himself. So just give us a flavor. What kind of services do they cover? What are the most common one? And maybe what are the most exotic that, you know, people want? want yeah, we, we spend a lot of time educating on what a virtual assistant does and doesn't do. And, and the intent of that is there are freelancers that are amazing graphic designers and, and website developers, and, and they're definitely skilled and crafted in what they do. Virtual assistants can do those complex things, but they're most 
likely to be used for things like email management. So imagine that inbox that has 10,000 emails in it. We get them down to 20 a week. You know, that's our goal. Um, calendar management, scheduling your phone calls, scheduling your podcast like this is an example. Um, some of the crazy things, well, travel booking, social media, scheduling and marketing. Those are great ways or customer support. Those are a lot of the big hitters that we get. Some of the crazy things more on the personal side, like ordering flowers. Um, you know, I have virtual assistants that sign their client's daughters up for dance class and then have to make sure they have the right tutu and the schedule's all loaded. Like it can get very personal and intimate. Uh, but in general, we stick to the, the executive assistant only it's virtual type of tasks. Okay, excellent. And you mentioned entrepreneur, by the way, that's another similarity. When I realized that there is a job and people get paid to speak, <laughs> I left the corporate world and decided to become a motivational speaker. You know, I've seen, but it was like out of reach, some big gurus, but I realized there are people, normal people become professional speakers. And that was for me the turning point. Uh, but now uh, you mentioned entrepreneur as a keyword for you. Um, did you have any failures on your journey uh, as an entrepreneur? I'll be interested to hear one or two and how, how did you overcome that? Because many people want to be an entrepreneur, but after the first failure, they give up. So I'd like to hear from people like you, which succeeded, what did they face and how they managed to overcome? Um, I think a few things. One is probably something that a lot of us run into, uh, inadequate pricing. You know, we, we value, we don't value ourselves the way that others do. So we constantly discount or pitch a price for a project that is way low. So you end up, you know, I've worked hundred hour projects and, and mm -hmm. build 20 of it. Yeah. So yeah. that was a really key learning on how to price better and, and really take into account the value that I'm providing for clients and saving a lot of money up front. And that's something I try to avoid with all of my students and getting them to miss that pivotal or that really terrible part of the growth process. Um, and then I've made a few bad investments in advertising. So Facebook ads, super expensive thing to do. Didn't know what I was doing. And instead of hiring an expert to, to handle it for me, I went at, at it myself, wasted a lot of money. And that kind of set me back because then I had to earn it before I could go ahead and market again. So those are two of the big things that I just would do differently next time. Excellent. And can you can you go one level deeper on this pricing? How how do you handle your internal dialogue, you know, to mm. ask for what you really deserve? And um, maybe to give us an example when you really manage to turn it around. Yeah, I think uh, when when you go through that, you want to quit. You're like, I'm never doing this again. This example, it was a website development that I did, and it just got so complex because I didn't have a, a good scope of work. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I'm never doing a website again. And I love creating websites, just something I kind of do on the side and just to keep my skills fresh. And uh, so I had to really have a lot of self-talk and in, in making sure that is this something I I will do better next time and I will do properly with a good scope of work and well-priced, or is this going to, am I going to burn it again? So I had to believe in myself that I was going to be able to do it again. And that's exactly what I did. So I just made sure that the next client I did, I priced higher than I ever have before and they took it. And then I was like, wow, this happened. 
now I can test it again and again and kind of just find the threshold of pricing and then making sure I had a really solid scope of work was super important. Excellent. Excellent. So let's go a bit into the team. So you mentioned you had like 140 alumni from memory and another 40 you actively market. It sounds like a virtual team. What, from your perspective, are the secrets of uh, leading a virtual team? What works for you? What tips you can give to our audience? Yeah, so a few key things, especially when you're bringing together an, a, a virtual team for the first time, it's all about communication, setting that precedence that this is where the communication channel that we use predominantly, I see, I see one of the biggest mistakes the virtual teams make is they have five different ways of communicating, text message, email, phone calls, project management tools, Voxer, which is a walkie talkie app, WhatsApp. I mean, it goes on and on. And it's so stressful for everyone involved, especially the person being delegated to because we miss things and it's all on us and it just doesn't work very well. So my biggest recommendation is to pick one, maybe two channels. Yes. And I recommend Voxer in my community, the walkie talkie app, but something that's kind of off the grid, not necessarily text message. And then uh, when you have an SOS, like I need this right now, then you have that protocol in place. So you yes. can make the phone call or you can text. I think that that's huge when working virtually. What, how, you, how are you communicating? Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. And this is what I recommend also as part, particularly we have many time zones to have one channel for urgent communication. You mentioned these two aspects, one channel, not many, and then a response time agreed. As you said, protocol for SOS or, you know, for this particular channel, which is usually for urgent, what is the response time? People commit and hold each other peer accountable. So spot on. Yeah. Tell us a bit, um, what is your most exciting or most exotic experience in a virtual team could be could be as a leader of this virtual community could be as a virtual assistant where you you know the most exotic experience um exotic experience i think that so we have done a lot of uh well not a lot a few group experience uh, support so a client came to us needing a huge project done that I know I needed several hands for. Uh, so I wouldn't call this exotic, but probably the most complex thing we've handled. And we had to almost create an agency of all of our skill sets and come together. So we brought together six individuals and we all worked on a part of the project, which really showed me how robust a team environment can be virtually. Um, this differs from what we normally do. We place one-on-one -on -one virtual assistants with business owners and entrepreneurs and, and people in corporations. And so being able to provide a solution across six different individuals was super exciting, super validating. And, and just to see the depth of the people that we have on our team was, was a great experience. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm glad it, it worked out well. So um, just go into the technology and the tools. You've mentioned one, but what is your favorite, uh, your favorite uh, virtual collaboration tool? Uh, so Asana, have you heard of Asana? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. by far yeah. my number one tool. I think that I'm a big email person. So I, I hate email or I should say I'm a big defender of email. The amount of people 
CCing each other on emails and sending spam and sending things that you don't need or sending responses that you don't need to. It just gunks up email and it slows people down more than anything I think in business. So having a separate channel like Asana is so important, not just for delegating tasks and keeping track of priorities and due dates and, and having all of your documents in one place, but the communication can all be within those tasks and those threads completely eliminating your inbox. Uh, so I require it when I work with clients one-on-one and highly, highly recommend it to anyone that passed my, passed my way. And I think that it's really important to also know that there's a free version. So you don't have to pay for something like this. You can, I've been operating with it for years and I don't, don't have to pay for it. Excellent. By the way, there was a study by Microsoft I'm promoting their Microsoft chat, but it is similar, although not so much delegation, but their numbers were, if you look at the email threads, only 40% are relevant. The rest are like, you know, the to and copy and then the mail tags and so on. Whereas to look at Asana or, or a chat with responses and likes, like 70% of the symbols are relevant that you see at a glance. Mm-hmm. And secondly, in the email, you have to scroll like three to four times back and forth to get the old information you need. Whereas there was like, you know, just once you could find it. So one more reason for those systems that evolve to kind of start replacing email and, and increase productivity. That is the game you are in. Yeah, absolutely. And it sure is a, a learned skill. You know, even when I get people on board with Asana or Trello or Slack or something like that, uh, it's, it's still, the the common theme is to go to your email and send the documents and and do the threads there. So it certainly is something that you have to grow with, but it's worth giving it a chance. Absolutely. So what do you, what do you read or what do you listen um, at the moment? What do I read or listen? So um, I read a lot of productivity books. Essentialism is one of my go-to books that I've read that I really enjoy. Um, I read Jack Canfield, if you're familiar with him, he is the author, well, he founded Chicken Soup for the Soul way back when, but he wrote a book called The Success Principles, super simple principles for success in your life and your business. And just applying those has been really crucial for me. Um, and then I listen to several business podcasts um, and and just stay fresh in, in those things. One of them is um, Prof G, he's a professor out of NYU that just keeps me really in tune with big market ideas uh, that I really, really like. Excellent. So we will share those links in the, in the description of the podcast. And then the final question, uh, Molly Rose, um, what do you think is the future of virtual teams? So I've been having this conversation quite a bit. And when I tell people I train and place virtual assistants, they, uh, several of them, I'd say over half think that I'm talking about a truly virtual automated portal, if you will. So an artificial intelligent system, not necessarily a human. Uh, so I've already seen you know, companies switch transitioning to artificial intelligence for virtual support. However, I do think that having the person behind the phone or on the computer to actually support your business strategy, your schedule, making sure things don't get screwed up with the help of all of these systems and automations and is, is truly where we're going. Um, 
before the pandemic, you know, we had a good flow of, of people needing virtual assistance. Now we can barely keep up. It's the demand is so high for, for this space as we all shift virtually and understanding that you don't have to pay someone full time to support you. You can simply do fractional vir virtual assistant uh, purchasing, you know, five hours a week to start. And it's it's been a game changer for people's businesses. And I truly think it's just going to skyrocket and we're going to see a, a completely different landscape over the next five years. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think uh, there are many, you know, people say that on the board level, a couple of seats will be occupied by artificial intelligence. So it's coming in the virtual assistant space, but also in a much higher decision-making positions. And if you look success of Netflix and Amazon with this uh, recommendations, artificial intelligence is key part of their marketing and so on. So I, I agree with you. It won't be uh, the system replacing the human, but the combination between the human intelligence and empathy and very highly productive uh, artificial intelligence uh, assistance probably will, will drive the way forward. So Molly Rose, thank you so much for your insights, for your energy. It was a pleasure having you and all the best on your journey. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure to be here and I wish everyone the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's Virtual Power Teams podcast. Review and subscribe to get the latest episodes and remember to pick up your copy of the book Power Teams Beyond Borders to create your own virtual power team. See you next week.